beginning at verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anybody happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can I, can I share something silly that I struggle with? I, I learned I'm not alone in this at the first service. We'll see if it's true at the second service. I really struggle with coming up with the words to write in greeting cards. It's a silly thing, but does anybody else here, anybody rack their brains when they have to do that? Show of hands. I'm, I'm really glad I'm, I'm not the only one. It doesn't matter what kind it is, graduation cards or birthday cards or thank you cards or sympathy cards. I don't know why I struggle with this. I, I freeze when I sit down to, to, to write it down. It might be because for years I thought that I didn't have to write anything in the card. I mean, isn't that why you spend $4 and give it to Hallmark so that they write something for you? That's what I always did and then I met my wife Alyssa and I gave her one of those cards and she told me that you have to write something personal in the card if you want to make it meaningful. Now I want to I want to say I'm feeling a little vulnerable here <laughs> that, that it doesn't mean that when it's proper etiquette to give a card that somehow I don't care. Actually I think the opposite is true. I care a lot and I think that's what leads me to the problem. There's this pressure right that you got to write the perfect thing under the perfect thing that's already been written by the staff writer at Hallmark whose job it is to write in the card and I have to write something just as meaningful meaningful underneath that. And, and that might sound surprising. I mean, after all, part of my job is to come before you and share things that I've written on a sheet of paper each and every week. But I don't know, maybe the cards just put me over the edge. But here's, here's where all of this relates to what we're going to read today in James. I read an article this week. It's from a couple of years ago, but I think it's still relevant today. And it talks about how sharing thoughts and prayers in the face, specifically in the face of tragedies, and we face so many of them today, and we're aware of so many of them because of how connected we are in our world. And the article suggested that in, in the United States, thoughts and prayers has kind of become the Americanized version of sharing a greeting card without a personal note. 
It's a nice gesture, but for many it often feels empty and impersonal. And I, I can feel that as, as I think about the experiences that we face, the different tragedies that we speak into and that we pray over, like hurricanes and school shootings that have become so common that you start to ask yourself, what can I possibly say? What can I possibly pray that hasn't been said and prayed before? And yet at the same time, I know that for those of us here who are gathered, I'm preaching to the choir, no pun intended, and saying that prayer itself is anything but empty. Back in September, we held a prayer service where we lifted up the prayers that people asked us to pray for on their behalf, prayers for healing and for world peace and for political unrest. We prayed for the safety of our children and those on school staff as we enter another year of school. And those of you that joined us, whether you were here in person or even those of you joining us online, said that just the simple act of coming before God in prayer, in James' words, is powerful and effective. There's a reason that we're drawn to prayer. And so why is the words, thoughts, and prayers uh, become more of like an impersonal greeting card? The article continued and suggested that the reason is because the words themselves have almost become a cliché in our language. And as part of the article, the author referenced another author who wrote a book about clichés, And in that book, they wrote this, that cliches have a role, and that role is both the comfort food and the junk food of language. The author explains that that at their best, the words, thoughts, and prayers make us feel comfortable during times of tragedy. It's the reason that so many people say them. It's why we reach for them. It's why I reach for pizza when I'm needing some comfort. We all have those comfort foods. And at their worst, like junk food, they feel like empty calories, don't they? They leave us sick and needing real sustenance to keep us going. And so The question is, where do we go? How do we turn this from a cliche to something that really is meaningful as we continue to desire to have not just thoughts but meaningful prayers in the face of everything we face in our world today? And that is what the author of James is going to address in chapter 5 today. And so let's let's dive in. I want to remind you one more time, especially if you're here for the first time, James is the half-brother of Jesus. He is a leader in the church in Jerusalem, he's written this short letter to remind the believers that are reading it of things that they already know, things they've learned um, as Jews, things that they've learned from the Old Testament, things that they've learned from the teachings of the Gospels. This is not a book of cliches, but it is also not a book that's revealing anything unique. It is a book of reminders. And one of the reminders that seems to come up over and over again is a reference to suffering. If you look at the beginning of chapter 5, James speaks to those who are suffering under the oppressive hand of the rich and the powerful, specifically those that have amassed a great number of wealth uh, on the backs of those underneath them, taking advantage of those who have less power and authority than they do. And James warns these oppressors in verse 4. He says, look, The wages that you have failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. 
This is a warning to those who take advantage of others, but it is also a comfort to anybody who has ever been taken advantage of. So hear that. Anybody here in this room, if you've ever been taken advantage of, this is God reminding us. He hears the cries of victims. And James encourages those who are victims next. In verse 7, he says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. It's no coincidence that these people that have mowed fields for no pay are now being encouraged to wait for God's harvest to come, a harvest that is going to be far greater than the harvest that their oppressors have temporarily benefited from. It reminds me of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4 that our troubles on this side of eternity are light and momentary in comparison to the future glory that will outweigh them all. James continues in verse 8, he says, You too, be patient. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Last week we talked about in chapter 4 how it's in the waiting where we really get into our issues, right? We learned that our unmet desires are the common denominator underneath every conflict that we face with one another. Verse 2, James says, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you, say it with me, do not ask God. And so that's the question that we're posing today. It's the question that James poses today. How do we ask God? How do we ask God in a way that is not cliche and yet recognizes the power of God's presence in every prayer that we pray? If you take a look at verses 10 through 12, you'll see in chapter 5 that James continues by telling us that we should look at the example of the prophets that have gone before us. He challenges us not to use God's name flippantly, I swear to God, not to do that. Instead, to trust that God's presence is in every word we say, everything that we do and then he calls us to pray and the how to pray question will be answered as we continue to go through the verses that we read just a few minutes ago let's look at 13 again James says is anyone among you in trouble let them pray is anyone happy let them sing songs of praise four things that we're going to learn about thoughts and prayers from a biblical perspective the first one is this Thoughts and prayers should be shared in all circumstances. Reality is, you and I get to choose whether thoughts and prayers is a cliche in our own personal world by whether or not the people around us are aware that we're a person of prayer, that we're people that pray all the time. James implies that we should be praying all the time, that prayer should be a part of the multifaceted faith life that we are all walking with Jesus in. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in what? All circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will for you? It can be boiled down to what we're going to focus on on Christmas, to be with you. He came to be with us, which means that prayer is not just reserved for difficulty. 
It's not just reserved for trials. It's not just reserved for times of suffering. And I know we know this, but I want to challenge you to try something this week that will prove the point. Next time somebody in your world and your life is going through something joyful, something that's worth celebrating, I want you to respond to them by saying, you're in my thoughts and prayers. And see how they respond. See, it feels kind of awkward, doesn't it? And maybe that's the problem. Because maybe we should be praying in the midst of those times, just like we pray in the midst of the tragedies we face. What if we prayed in the midst of celebrating as much as we pray in times of need? I think it's a start. It's biblical. Philippians 4 comes to mind, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. Again, this is what James is getting at. In verse 14, he continues, Is anybody among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. See, even though we're called to pray in all circumstances, there is a unique reason why we're feeling led, why we feel led, even those who are not religious, to pray in the midst of suffering. And the second thing that we learn is the thoughts and prayers invite us to action. This is where the cliche gets us into trouble. It's when the ones who are using these words are not willing to back them up with tangible action. It's, it's a politician that refuses to use their position of power and influence to bring about real change for those they've been called to serve. It's a farmer who doesn't stop oppressing their workers in James' example. It's a sick person that refuses to seek medical treatment when medical treatment is out there and available. In chapter 2, James says that faith without works is dead. This is why Martin Luther didn't like this book because it suggests in some readings that, that we have to work to have faith. But that's not what James is saying. What he's saying is that if you have faith, it will naturally pour out into action. When it comes to prayer, one of those actions is to call upon the elders of the church to pray, And that doesn't just mean the board or those in leadership, but this is anyone. These are those who are wise, those who are faithful, those who are experienced. It's calling upon those who pray. And I shared uh, an example of this just in the last service, a couple uh, by the name of Chuck and Paula Tyberg. They're newer members of our church. And it was about maybe a month and a half ago now, they called me and they asked us to pray for them. They asked to be put on the prayer chain uh, because they, doctors had found a cancerous spot on Paula's lung, and they needed to figure out a way in which to remove it. And what ended up happening, it was just a week and a half ago today, she needed a surgery that removed a third of the lung where that spot was found. That's the most effective way that they've learned to, to deal with this particular type of cancer. And so what did they do? They called the doctors, they made the appointments, and then they called the church. And they asked us to pray. They asked us to pray. They asked to be included on the prayer chain. And so we included them. And praise God, the surgery was successful. Last Sunday was only a few days after the procedure itself. And they were already in church. They were already here and they were here today. God has healed Paula from the cancer. And she is back to rejoice with those who have lifted her up in prayer. Can we praise, even though they're not here in this service, can we praise God for what he has done? 
I told Paula when she came in, I said, can I share that with the church? Because as I was reading this, I thought, this is what James is talking about. This is what James is calling us to do. And, and, and it's not just for those who are suffering in the moment of suffering, but it's so that we can see God's hand at work on the other side. This is also why they anointed with oil. Uh, anointing with oil has a lot of different meanings. On a practical level in biblical times, oil was considered medicinal. To anoint someone with oil would be like treating them with a Band-Aid or, or an antiseptic or something like like that it was to anoint them with a natural therapy but with holy expectation of a supernatural power behind the healing James chapter 5 verse 15 the power the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is, say it with me, powerful and effective. This leads us to the third thing that we learn, and that is that thoughts and prayers invite us to confess our own sin. There's a common theme throughout the Old Testament. Those reading James would have been very familiar with this, and that is this connection between our faithfulness and prosperity, God's blessing on our lives, and likewise the connection between our sin and our suffering. And on one level, this is true. We see this in our own lives. The definition of sin, right, is turning away from God. It's turning away from our creator, our life source, and word and deed, and our, our words of confession by what we have done and by what we have left undone. And we can all think of examples of things that we have done or left undone that have caused pain and suffering in the lives of those around us and ourselves. Now, I don't assume that, that Paula's cancer is a result of sin, a direct result of sin, but I have prayed with people who have suffered as a direct result of their sin, whether it's alcoholism or workaholism, whether it's overeating or overworrying, we can all think of sin that causes us to suffer, sin that we need to be rescued from. And it reminds me that the thing that binds us together, those who are looking for forgiveness from sin and those who are looking to be rescued from suffering, is the hope and faith that God is not finished yet. It's Romans chapter 8 where Paul says that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Prayer is faith that because God sent his son to rescue us from our sin, he can and will also rescue us from whatever we face today. It comes to my mind is, is confessing sin is kind of like a, a catheterization that moves through a blocked artery that attaches us, that connects us to God. We need God to remove the blockage so that we can see the last thing that we learn here, and that is that thoughts and prayers connect us to God's rescue plan. Thoughts and prayers connect us to God's rescue plan. Verse 17, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. He prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. 
In the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, you'll find the story that's being referenced here. It's an incredible story for another time. God's people had experienced the drought. Ultimately, it all came as a result of their sin. They had turned to a false god. The prophet Elijah, in a mighty moment of glory, prayed to God, and God returned the rain, and everybody watched, and they could see that there is only one true God. It's an incredible story. And not only is it a story of the power of prayer, but even more, it is a story of God's hand rescuing his people. And what is even more incredible than that is that James seems to imply that we can see the same power at play when we pray and when we bring our own brothers and sisters back from sin. This is the rest of the passage that we're reading this morning. Verse 19, he says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I saw this play out this past week. Um, Alyssa and I, my wife, uh, we, we surprised our kids. We took them on a, a, a quick um, loop trip up to the Wisconsin Dells in the middle of the week. You know, um, For the record, we don't make a habit of pulling our kids out of school to go up to the Dells. They wish we did, um, but we didn't get to go this summer. We always like to make a trip up there, and we found a good deal, and so we decided to surprise them because sometimes just good to do that with your family. And so we were doing it, and we were driving there and back, and it was like the most beautiful time to be driving up that direction and back because the colors are just like at their peak. And so we decided to take a little bit more of a scenic route, especially on the way back. And we noticed as we were driving there and on the way back, we noticed as we drove through a city by the name of Sauk Prairie, not very far from here, um, there were all of these signs everywhere. And they all said two words, be kind. Anybody here know what this is about? Show of hands. It's not very far away. A couple of you do. Um, Most of you don't. Um, I asked Alyssa, I said, "Do, do a quick search on your phone. Find out why there's all of these be kind signs in this not just the town, but it seemed like it was kind of everywhere all around that particular area. And when she looked, she learned that this is a response to the tragic death by suicide of a 16-year-old boy named Sawyer Martin who lost his life this past July. And it came from the obituary that his own mother wrote for her son. And, And in the midst of it, right in the middle, there's this one line. She said, people... Be kind, because words and actions can hurt. People, be kind, because words and actions can hurt. According to one of the articles that I read, it cited the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and that suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people ages 15 to 24. And I don't know the specific details, but clearly there was a correlation between this poor boy's pain and death and the unkind world that he was growing up in. And so as I continued to to research this, I learned that there was a longtime friend of the family. Her name is Missy um, Cubley, and she, she felt like she needed to do something in his memory and and to help to bring about the needed change that is needed in their community and in their world. And 
And she picked up on these two words, be kind, in the middle of the obituary. And she started out by just asking some local businesses, would you put be kind up on your, on your marquees? And here's some pictures from this town. You've got uh, this steakhouse here, be kind, Culver's, the elementary school, the bank. Each one said be kind. Then they went and got yard signs printed out. I had somebody after the first service come up to me and say, much better than the political yard signs. Amen? Amen. Yeah, that preaches, doesn't it? <laughs> and so if you want to go back, Pammy, if you can go back to the last one, they purchased these. Uh, you could purchase, sorry, it's one back before that, um, these Be Kind signs, and all of the proceeds have been given to a fund, um, the Sawyer Martin Foundation, that has now collected tens of thousands of dollars to be able to support mental health resources for those in need. And I saw all of these things and I thought to myself, I was thinking about today's message and I was thinking about thoughts and prayers and being cliche and I was thinking about what James is saying and I was thinking about my own, my own thoughts and my inability to come up with them in the face of so many tragedies and I thought, you know, are thoughts and prayers important? Absolutely, I believe they are. But this Be Kind campaign, this preaches what James is trying to tell us. This is exactly what he's talking about. God wants to do something through our thoughts and prayers. And that thing that he wants to do is point us to his rescue plan, a plan that he initiated 2,000 years ago when he came to be with us, a plan that he welcomes us back into every time we pray, which should be, in the words of James, in everything that we do. What I see is that to put a sign like this outside your business or your door that says, be kind, it says to me two different things. The first thing it says is it calls us to repent. Because if I put that sign outside of my door, it's going to remind me of all of the times that I have been less than kind to the people around me, and I need to ask God for his forgiveness in that. And then it calls us to lean on the kindness of God that we receive ourselves in order that we might share it with a world that desperately needs to know. It's the crux of, of a story in the Gospel of Matthew. I'll leave you with this. Jesus, he did two things at the same time, and he was challenged by it. He healed a paralyzed man, and he forgave him of his sins. He was challenged on whose authority did he have to do this, and he replies to those who are challenging him, what is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. The man then got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who has given such authority to man. Friends, the reason Jesus didn't just heal the man but also forgave him of his sins is the same reason that we don't stop with the words, thoughts, and prayers. God's plan was not just to make that man walk, but it was to save his soul. It was for him to know that he is a child of God 
that he has been redeemed beyond his paralysis in body, mind, and spirit, that God has sent his son to save him. God's plan was not just to show him that he could be made physically well, but to make him physically and spiritually well, that he might go into the world and show others that in Jesus they can walk too. Does it begin with thoughts and prayers? Yes. But then it leads us to the kindness that this community is calling themselves into and that I believe that God calls us into as well. And so can we right now, in the words of James, begin with prayer that is powerful and effective and ask God to meet us where we are and to take us to where he is going. Would you join me now as we pray? Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning in the hopes of praying prayers that are powerful and effective. It is not our desire to be bearers of a cliche, but God, would you, would you invite us into a conversation with you in the face of everything that we face in this world? That we might pray as your servant James tells us to pray as those who are righteous, which we know left on our own would mean none of us. But you came 2,000 years ago to become our righteousness. And so, God, we confess as we come before you the sin that separates us from you and separates us from others when our deepest desires are met in something other than you, this sin that leads us into a world that is full of broken people, us included, who need to experience your kindness and need to share your kindness that comes only from you. God, I think about how many times it seems easier to seek physical healing than it does to ask for forgiveness. As we chuckle about political yard signs, is that not just the epitome right now in October and November in a midterm season of what we strive to do as humanity? We think that a policy or a politician is going to fix what only you can. We need to turn back to you. And that isn't just in flowery words said in prayers and churches on Sunday mornings, but that is in our actions of kindness and our repentance in the moments where we have been less than kind. God, we pray for the family of Sawyer Martin. We're not very far away from there, and yet most of us didn't even know. God, we pray for a mother who had to write her own son's obituary, and God, we pray that they would know your kindness. God, I pray that each and every person here in this place and listening from afar and worshiping with us in this moment would know your kindness. That they are of infinite value. That you are good and that you have embarked and you have, you have placed on us your own image as you have created us in your image to look like you, to receive your love and to be with you always. God, we pray for 
our community, that we would seek forgiveness for the times that we've been less than kind, and we ask for your strength to share with the world the kindness that you have shared first with us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.